Welcome to episode 35 of Kyperian Commentary. I'm your host, Yuri Brito. And on this episode, I have a special guest, probably not familiar to the Kyperian audience. I have with me Lisa Robinson. Lisa, how are you this morning? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing fine, thank you. Lisa, for our listeners who may not know you, tell us a little bit about yourself, especially a uh, particular news that might come up in January, if you don't mind. <laughs> well, uh, that news would be that I am getting married. Um, I, I have been widowed since uh, 2004, and a wonderful man came into uh, my life that I met Christmas Eve, uh, who lives in Roanoke, Virginia. So uh, he proposed in August. Uh, we've done, done quite well for a long distance uh, relationship. So uh, January 26, we will be tying the knot and I will be moving to Roanoke from Dallas, where I've been for 10 years. Yeah, so a little, and, and the reason I'm in Dallas is because I moved here from Rhode Island to go to Dallas Seminary. I started there in 2008. I uh, got my THM in 2014 that that's why I'm about 10 years so it's you know I, all I can say is well Dallas it's been nice knowing you but I gotta go I'm sure many will miss you there Lisa let's I want to talk about a, um, a subject you have tackled uh, in some ways on your Facebook uh, page but in a specific article that you wrote recently uh, concerning the social justice statement uh, published by some uh, well-known thinkers and theologians and pastors in our day. For our listeners, Lisa, can you give us just a, a little synopsis of what that statement is? You know, as I read through it, what uh, what really came out to me was this concern that in the interest of addressing issues of justice, or rather issues of injustice in our society, that there there's a certain segment of the church that is capitulating to a cultural paradigm, um, and some would say even a worldly paradigm, um, borrowing from secular resources instead of following the mandates of scripture. When I read through the article, that's what really struck me. And of course, yeah, as you know, we've had this concern throughout church history, where, you know, there are certain, there's a certain portion of the church that tends to veer off. And so you have to have, um, there have been these kind of corrective measures to say, hey, let's get back on track. So that's, for me, that was the overarching message of the statement, you know, notwithstanding any particular issues that I had with it, you know, overall, that was sort of my first take. Got it. And so it, I think it's important to note, uh, first and foremost, that uh, this is not a statement where we're saying, you know, rip every shred of it. There are, as you said in your article, there are things that you largely agree with. Would you agree, Lisa, that uh, perhaps there, there is a concern that these authors have that many are essentially forsaking what they refer to as sort of the pure gospel message for another constructed message that takes on the shape or the label of social justice. Is that accurate? I, I think in reading through the the words of the statement and hearing some of the, you know, the gentleman's uh, messaging in other venues, um, you know, through social media, through blogs and whatnot, I, I would say that in their mind, that is their 
their concern. I had a slightly different take on it. You know, so it comes down to this message of what is the gospel. We would say, we would agree that the gospel is because of man's fall, you know, through the disobedience of the first man, that it took the second Adam. Christ to come and redeem mankind and reconcile man to God because of sin, because, you know, we've all, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so it is through the work and the person of Christ that we are reconciled to the Father. And this is the message that we preach to proclaim him. And so if you are defining the gospel as purely a spiritual reconnection to God, then that, and as I read through the statement, I can't, I could not help but see, yes, this is probably how they're defining the gospel. Well, if I'm going to look at the whole council of scripture from Genesis to Revelation and look at what God created and intended in Genesis 1 to 2 and what, how he redeems what has fallen, and particularly in, in Revelation 21 with the new heavens and new earth, we have to be careful of creating this dualism of, you know, a spiritual versus physical. And so all throughout scripture was God's intention for him to be our God and and calling a people to himself. Yes, but these are people who live in a earthly setting in a with physical creation. And did not Jesus portray that when he came of course his miracles and his, you know, feedings of large amounts of people and his healings were so that people would know that he was the the Messiah for whom particularly the Jews had been waiting. But in that, he was addressing the physical concerns of people. Going back to your question, you know, is there a departure from the gospel? And this is where I had a concern because it seemed, the statement seemed to set up this dichotomy of either you're for the gospel or you're for social justice. That was my biggest issue with the statement, as if those who can readily proclaim the gospel according to the historical articulation of Christian orthodoxy could not also be engaged in or concerned about issues of social justice. Right. And so you say in your article that one of the problems you have is that what this document does is it creates an additional stress to our attempts of, of bringing together, of unifying the Orthodox Christian Church, a church in its creedal sense, in, in a world that's already very noisy and divisive, right? Yes. Yes, that, that's, that's essentially what I was saying, because here's what we don't want to do, is if, you know, I always go back to this Bonhoeffer quote, which, of course, in, you know, in my 54 years, I don't remember things so well anymore, <laughs> so I'm going to loosely quote it. But he says something like this, you know, when I look into the eyes of my brother, if you look into the eyes of your brother in Christ, know that that's someone that you are united to for eternity. And so there's this idea that when we talk about the gospel, we talk about our identity in Christ matters most. Well, that goes to our union in Christ. And and is that not with our brothers and sisters? And so, 
you know, love tells me, you know, I always go back to the very simple uh, statement that Jesus made in John chapter 13. They will know your disciples by the love you have one for another. And is love not bearing all things? So I want to give people the benefit of the doubt and know where they're coming from before I throw them under the bus and say, well, because you are concerned about issues of injustice, and you may even adopt secular paradigms like protest to maybe, you know, deal with issues of police brutality or whatnot, that somehow that means I'm abandoning the gospel. I think we need to be very careful with that accusation if we're talking about legitimate brothers and sisters in Christ. So what has been, since you have uh, written this article here, what has been some of the reactions that uh, folks have had about your article and specifically about this general consensus that I perceive is being created out there by you know, well-known figures also like Al Mohler, uh, Russ Moore, and others who have a uh, a very distinct love for the gospel of Jesus Christ, but yet took issues with this uh, social justice justice statement. What has been the reaction towards that general position that you're articulating? You know, my article as well as theirs, and I have shared, I haven't shared Russell Moore's, but I have shared Kevin DeYoung's article that he wrote on the Gospel Coalition. And definitely he had another voice. I think he did a really good job of uh, delineating uh, this issue of, you know, of social justice, because we do want to keep in step with the scriptural mandate. Al Mohler, in his Q&A that he did the other day, he, you know, one of the students asked him, what is social justice? And he took 40 minutes to answer. And it was a very thoughtful and thorough response. Here's what I, here's, here's my take. I think people who have this overarching concern that we are not kind of, you know, creating false dichotomies, that we're not throwing the baby out the bathwater, those types of messages will resonate. But unfortunately, I think once you've determined that social social justice and however you define that, and, the, and a big part of the problem is we need to properly define that and, and what exactly it is we're, we're addressing. Once you determine that social justice is an enemy of the church, and that's another thing that I got out of the statement, once you determine that, I, I, I don't know that an Al Mohler or a Kevin DeYoung or even my article will make a difference because, I mean, and I get, listen, I get that, you know, there's this the love of love of Christ, love of the gospel, love of the church. And we definitely, and we've seen what happens when we have infiltrations um, in the church that, that muddies the message at best and, you know, creates a, a heterodoxy at worst. But at the same time, I think that, that we really want to take extra steps to, you know, to recognize, you know, where there's legitimate room for disagreement where there's legitimate room for differences. And I think that there is an, there is an area here, right? Because there, there's always been this question, what is the church's role and relationship to culture? And Christians have, have answered that differently and, not, and, and without abandoning orthodoxy. And so there's a place where we can give room for that. My concern with that statement and the, the backers of the statement is that there's no room for that kind of disagreement. Lisa, I want to leave an open door of conversation here in the next uh, 
a few days and, and weeks here for uh, perhaps following up a bit on this here. I think you've given us plenty to think about. What I want to do is link your article to our Kyperian listeners by the end of the day. And we'll also be discussing a little bit with uh, Kyperian contributor Dustin Messer on the definition of social justice, which you've touched, and whether there is a historical and perhaps a biblical rationale for the continual use of that term that is not directly connected, as some have assumed, with some kind of subtle, you know, secretive Marxist agenda that's being infiltrated. And I think that'll be that'll also shed some light in this discussion. Lisa, I want to thank you so much for your your time. Can you direct our listeners, please, to um, where you they could find your article, where you like to publish your material? Uh, it, that would be on my blog, Lisa Robinson, at, uh, so it's theothoughts.com. So Theo as in God, uh, T-H-E-O, thoughts, uh, T-H-O-U-G-H-T-S, uh, dot com. Lisa Robinson, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Honor uh, to be here and speaking with you this morning. We have also with us here contributing writer to Kyperian Commentary, Dustin Master. Dustin, how are you this morning? Hey, man, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fabulous. Good to talk with you again, Dustin, on this issue uh, concerning social justice that has you know, somewhat uh, proliferated the blogosphere. But I don't know if you have the same perception, but these major statements, they do come out and they kind of get the attention of the populace for about uh, a week to 10 days, and then it just kind of disappears. Has that been your experience? Yeah, it really has. And it gets the attention of kind of a relatively few amount of people, um, but people in sort of theological, evangelical, blogosphere world, um, and it sucks all the oxygen out. But I think most people sort of in the pews uh, don't know uh, much about what's going on, and that may be for the best. (laughs) <laughs> well, so here, let me get right to the point here. The social justice statement, which was published by, well, I, I'm assuming one of the most prolific names would be John MacArthur, who is a, a pastor in California for many decades, very well known, respected conservative leader, someone that I'm sure both of us admire uh, for his commitment to the biblical authority and inerrancy. At the same time, he does come from a particular theological perspective, and so does the majority of folks who have written and signed this statement here. I want you to talk a little bit about, first of all, why didn't you sign the statement? And then I have a couple other questions. Let's begin there. Uh, Before I say why I didn't sign it, let me just say, as I said in the article, that I have so many people, you named John MacArthur, but I know there's so many other people behind both the drafting of the statement and, of course, uh, people who signed the statement who have just immense respect for. And I don't think that they're... Uh, the, the motivations behind their signing were either bigoted or, or ignorant or anything like that. Mm. Uh, so I, I come critical of the statement, but critical with a certain amount of uh, sympathy for the people's uh, arguments. I didn't sign it because as I read the statement, it seemed to me there was enough sort of false dichotomies within it and things which I just didn't agree with that I didn't want to, uh, that I didn't want to sign it. And, you know, it's interesting. Some of the pushback I've gotten has said, well, look, isn't there, aren't there people in the social justice crowd who are saying things that, uh, you disagree with? So why not sort of choose the people who are signing this over social justice people? And my response to that has just been, look, my argument is you can use social justice language in a faithful way, but it doesn't mean everybody who does is using it in a good way or 
is applying scripture appropriately. So to me, not only does the text have enough false dichotomies and things with which I disagree, but the whole presupposition that I have to choose a tribe or a people and that whether or not I sign this particular document uh, will will sort of align me with one group or another, I just sort of reject. And so I didn't sign it because at the end of the day, though there were many things with which I agreed in the text, uh, there were plenty that I didn't. And so you sort of weigh those things. And um, at the end of the day, I, I didn't think I could get good conscience sign it. Dustin, I think one of the reactions I have heard is that, look, I mean, every statement there will be things which you would think to yourself, my goodness, I would love for this to have been said instead of this here, or um, I wish more would have been said or less would have been said. Is, is there a validity to that concern? I mean, in other words, are you being so nitpicky here that in the end of the day, there's no statement on planet Earth you would sign apart from the great creeds of Christendom? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm sympathetic to that. I, what I would say is... Um, I would have signed it if I had a thought, look, I would say more than this, right? I mean, if it was just a bare bones statement that sort of rejected Marxism and identified the problems, I would say, all right, look, there's much more that could be said, say, in favor of an active uh, laity in, in the public square applying their faith and so forth. If, it, if the problem was there's more to be said, I absolutely would have uh, well, I won't say absolutely would have signed it. I probably would have signed it. The problem was it just went further, right? So right. I said things that I disagreed with. And that's hard for me to rectify, right? I don't want to be nitpicky. Um, and so, like, obviously there's more that could be said. But it was that it said more than I would say that I felt like if I put my name on it, I just sort of disagree with this. And Yuri, I, I don't want to flip the tables here, but you're a pastor and you work with people every day. And you and I are good enough friends that, you know, if, if you respond in a way that, that you might expect I would disagree with, that won't hurt my feelings at all. I'm genuinely curious, and your experience pastoring, is the biggest sort of problem, uh, sort of a, a Marxist application of the faith to the public square, or is it apathy? people not applying their faith at all. And again, I don't know what your response will be, but I'm really interested to hear it. Well, it's unmistakably the latter. It's it's apathy. It is men and women who are having a hard time connecting the faith to the way they live from Monday through Fridays. I think on Sunday mornings, they can come to, to the congregation uh, with God's people and they can have some kind of harmony in the way they look at the world because it is such an imposition of a one-sided data, you know. On Sunday morning, you're sitting and you're there's a particular focus. You are heavenward. You're thinking in, in, in terms of divinity. But then from Monday through Friday, there is a, a plethora of, of data being thrown at you. And I think many in the pew have this difficulty of connecting the Sunday to Monday motif. And so I think that I think the, the vast majority of concern in the pew is definitely in the area of apathy. Yeah. This is why I am. Um, this is why in our line of work, Dustin, I mean, there will always, there will never cease to have a, of work for us. Yeah, no doubt. It seems to me, I remember we covered it at Kyperian commentary. I forget the gentleman's name, but uh, someone was running for political office in Texas 
and he was a ruling elder at a PCA church in Houston. Correct. And he was, he was, you probably remember the details better than I do, but essentially he was pro-choice. That's right. PCA obviously is pro-life. And what he said was, look, my religious affiliation, my, on Sunday, I am pro-life, but Monday to Saturday, as I govern, that doesn't bear, uh, in, in my governance. So don't worry about it pro-choice people because I won't let my Christian faith influence my political dealings. And to me, it just, like, as I heard that, we covered it at Kyperian Commentary, that seems much more, much more dominant and much more the problem. And so when I read that statement, I just see a mentality and a hermeneutic that will encourage that further and give license further for people to say, okay, I may religiously feel this way, but, you know, ultimately, like, if I, I have the gospel and I don't have to worry about applying it to every sphere of life. And that was why I intentionally brought up crisis pregnancy center work, right? Because uh, to me, I think the, the more likelihood in terms of just I'll say this, when I'm talking to someone about how to apply their faith uh, into the public sphere, I very rarely have people say, sort of bring in scripture to apply in, in sort of a Marxist paradigm. Instead, what I have is just apathy, uh, as, as you observed as well. Right, no doubt. And one of the concerns that you brought up here is, on your, in your article, which we'll link on this podcast here, is a section in the statement that says, quote, and we emphatically deny that lectures on social issues in parentheses, or activism aimed at reshaping the wider culture are as vital to the life and health of the church as the preaching of the gospel and the exposition of scripture. Historically, such things tend to become distractions that inevitably lead to departures from the gospel, close quote. Now, this appears to me to be one of their main concerns. And I think if you grew up in the in the John MacArthur era, which I did, listening to his uh, sermons and lectures in college at Ligonier Ministries, you realize that there's a very distinct way of thinking that MacArthur has, and I'm using him as sort of a paradigm for this document, since he is probably the most prolific of all these authors here. But MacArthur does have a particular theological, and to be more honest, eschatological viewpoint that naturally divides these two issues that we're talking about here, which is the idea of preaching the gospel as a pulpit ministry, the centrality of that, and then very separate from that is the idea of lectures on social issues. Talk to me a little bit about that, that what I perceive and you and I perceive to be a false dichotomy, Dustin. Just um, expound on that a bit. As I do, I'll just reference a book. Uh, Philip Jensen in Sydney, Australia has a really wonderful book on preaching called, I think, Archer and the Arrow. Mm. And one of the points he makes that's so intuitive as you read specifically the wisdom literature, the book of James, is that... Um, there is a blurry line between expositing a text and exhorting the people. Mm. And the reason for this is because the text that we are expositing is a text meant to change us mm. to the core. It's meant to lead us to do things. I mean, John Frame is so good on this as yes, well. Yes, he Your former professor. If you're telling someone, like if you're expositing, you know, God knits us together in our mother's womb. To me, it would seem just like you're. It, it's not that you failed to apply the text; it's that you failed to show the text's applicability, which is the nature of expository preaching. If you don't draw connections to pro-life work, right? So, uh, to me, it's just it's tough to say. Like, 
preaching is more important than activism. Because, I mean, on the one hand, I'll say, like, yeah, of course, I don't want people, you know, I want people on Sundays, if you have to choose between, you know, I don't know, making, like, ribbons for people to wear in a march or something and going to church on the Lord's Day. Of course, I'm going to say go to church on the Lord's Day. But when you go to church on the Lord's Day, the thing that you should be hearing should be moving you out Mm -hmm. into faithfulness and obedience uh, under God's law and God's good will. Mm. Amen. That's that's very good. One of the central concerns, uh, the language that was used quite often here, and I just want to touch on it briefly, just uh, Dustin, is the language of social justice, which in some ways I have heard, and I am uh, I see this often in the media. And for those of us who are on the let's say conservative side of politics, we hear this often: social justice uh, being associated directly as a way of smuggling in a Marxist agenda. I, it's possible that those who signed and drafted the document have this either or mentality. And as we've talked about, and I think I really do believe that John frame would have been a, a wonderful corrective to this whole process here. But how do you answer to that, to that accusation that in some ways social justice is a departure from the pure gospel and also and a more critical side, that it's a way of smuggling in a kind of foreign, unbiblical agenda such as Marxism. Yeah, sure. Well, I think the first thing we would just have to say is it, of course, can and, and does happen, right? I mean, I think it would Correct. Be so it right. does happen, yes. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely does happen. It absolutely is a problem that should be addressed. And I, uh, I, I don't want to minimize or, or think it's silly to, to want to address that. But I would step back and just say, must it? You know, earlier that the quote you read from the statement, uh, activism inevitably leads to dot, 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 historically. Uh, That sort of categorical language, I just don't find to be true. You know, I quoted in my uh, piece uh, Antonio Rosmini, who was an Italian sort of philosopher and priest writing before Marx, who some people say is the first person to use the language social justice, very much a Christian. The Acton Institute is sort of helping bring his work back into relevancy. And as you read, you know, Rosmini, of course, it would, on the one hand, be anachronistic to say, well, this is, you know, Marxist propaganda he's he's giving out. Or uh, another example, Dr. Moeller uh, at Southern Seminary brought up was when you look at the headings in the ESV Bible for Deuteronomy, it's some of the headings include the language of social justice huh. and they're, they're not trying to say, you know, Deuteronomy is trying to, to make us all Marxist. <laughs> it's just like, you know, there has to be a societal dimension to justice. So what, what, what I would say is someone very much in the Kyperian tradition is that social justice allows us to talk about different sorts of justice, not in that different sorts of justice are derivative of a different kind of metaphysic or, or come from someplace other than God. This is said in the piece. It's like, you know, Abraham Kuyper says the church has its own justice. Yes. If by that we mean administration of the sacraments, preaching of the word, the state has its own justice. If by that we mean, uh, you know, the, the power of the sword and the family and the arts, and we could keep going. And the irony of this whole discussion is If you say, no, there aren't different codes and mores in different spheres, there is just God's justice, I think what will happen at the end of the day 
is people will say, okay, in the book of Acts, everybody has everything in common. And if we sort of flatten out God's creation to one sphere, what will happen counterintuitively is that people will smuggle in a more socialistic, you might even say Marxist uh, worldview and Mm. say, okay, we should live in the state as if it's the church. Right. And so I think social justice language could actually be a really good help in having careful, biblical, good categories uh, to help us from having an alien worldview smuggled into our politics. Dustin Mester is a Kyperian contributor. You can find his articles on Kyperian.com, especially his most recent one is there. We'll make a link available at the end of this podcast here for you. Dustin, I want to thank you for your time, brother. Thank you for your labors in this conversation. I suspect, though these statements are short-lived, I think these discussions are not. So thank you for your time, Dustin. Well said. Thank you. All right.